0: Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by Spalding University's Sina Jeter-Naslin, Karen Mann, Graduate School of Writing.
1: Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where
2: we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. It's almost time for Gurney Fest, November 17th and 18th at the University of Kentucky in Lexington. Gurney Norman, the celebrated Appalachian writer, documentarian, University of Kentucky English professor emeritus and UK graduate, will be honored with musical performances, a masterclass, panel discussion, several of those, film screenings, and much more. Today on the podcast, we'll hear from one of the participants in Gurney Fest, and then uh, we'll play a recording of a Think Humanities podcast I did with Gurney at Black Swan Bookstore in Lexington just a couple of years ago. Mars Grubbs is an assistant dean and director of the Graduate Student Professional Enhancement at UK. Uh, Mars is also recognized uh, for his knowledge, his uh, history and theory of the short story, a subject he will explore at Gurney Fest in a talk titled Living with Kinfolks, Gurney as a Master of the Short Story. And Morris, it's uh, uh, indeed a pleasure and a, a real treat to have you on our podcast.
0: It's good to be back, Bill. Thanks for having me.
2: So in this one talk, you're you're I think you're on two panels. Uh, there's an array of uh, of so many talented people who are going to contribute to, uh, this, uh, tribute to, to Gurney on the 16th and 17th. And, uh, it's just going to be a marvelous, uh, couple of days. Uh, you are, um, really talking about, um, the mastery, uh, of the short story that Gurney has practiced for many, many years. How did you decide on, zeroing in on the short story and um, it might be obvious to some who read uh, Gurney that he of course uh, is a master of the short story but you could have also chosen many other topics many other uh, in in a broad array of things that uh, that Gurney has addressed in his lifetime of writing Uh, but you chose the short story. Well I've
0: heard Gurney speak about the short story in the way other people speak about basketball. For example, I mean, he, he claims to be a, a huge fan of the short story. And by that, uh, I mean, he follows the great writers. He's, he's known many of the great writers. He knows their best stories. You know, he, he knows how many stories they've published. He knows the statistics <laughs> on the writers. Um, And and so that that came out in some of our earliest conversations beginning in the 1980s when I was in graduate school at UK, I got to know him. And so we started having conversations focused on the short story as a literary genre, uh, because he had gone to Stanford for one thing and studied with some great short story writers out there, including Frank O'Connor. Um, and Frank O'Connor went on to publish a book. It really, you know, it's it's seen now as a theoretical kind of look at the short story, um, focusing on how short stories are. Uh, they, they tend, they have tended throughout time, and continue to tend to focus on characters who are lonely or isolated or living on the fringes of society, and so. I think Gurney found a lot of uh, companionship with Professor Frank O'Connor out at Stanford. You know, Frank O'Connor was from Ireland, Gurney from Eastern Kentucky, and there are a lot of similarities there in terms of the storytelling, uh, the themes, uh, the attachment to place and so forth. So so my early conversations with Gurney were, were always, almost always focused on the short story as a literary form. So, so when I had this opportunity to, to create this presentation, that was a natural go-to for me because it's my own interest as well.
2: When you were having those conversations with Gurney um, early on, when you were in graduate school, uh, he was uh, at Stanford on a, a a Stigner, a Wallace Stigner uh uh, fellowship there with with some other well known Kentuckians that uh, uh, we all know uh, were with him, uh, Barry and McLenahan and and uh, and others. Did 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 Gurney use the techniques that he learned uh, from Frank O'Connor and others for his writing style or for his teaching style? Did he? want to impart the wisdom that he had learned to students like yourself, uh, or was it for his own creativity in crafting the short story?
0: I, I, I think it, it was primarily for his own creativity and crafting. I mean, Gurney had already developed uh, a deep and a broad sense of the, the literary short story as it had appeared in Appalachia. Um, you know, a writer such as Jesse Stewart uh, was was a huge figure, loomed very large in literature in, uh, you know, the middle of the last century. And I think when Gurney discovered that Jesse Stewart was from Appalachia, that revolutionized his thinking in a lot of ways about, you know, the possibilities of someone from Appalachia becoming a writer of that kind of stature. So, so I think early on, Gurney developed a fascination with the writers themselves as well as their writing. Uh, so, so I think he, are, he, he took with him to Stanford, uh, you know, a good toolbox and, and plenty of writing that he'd already done uh, at U.K., And that just helped him uh, further hone his skills, and uh, you know allowed him a chance to stretch some too and try some new things. So, uh, so, so I think all of that uh, combined with Gurney's need to find his path toward teaching, and uh, I'm, I'm sure he learned a lot from his professors out there as, as he did from professors at UK.
2: Who were some of the other uh, notable writers that uh, you remember him uh, talking to you about or suggesting that you read uh, and learn from?
0: Mm -hmm. In our early conversations, Gurney would give me some of, he would loan me and he, he actually gave me, gift copies of anthologies Uh, so so gurney was really has been all his life it seems fascinated with anthologies of short stories and how one goes about as an editor selecting you know the best short stories and uh how do you go about introducing short stories in a in a book of short stories and and so I I think, you know, those were many of the conversations that we had, you know, read this story uh, and let's talk about it. I would get a note in my mailbox (laughs) Um, and we would do that. And one story would lead to another. And uh, it was a fascinating journey uh, through 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 the short story with Gurney.
2: In your talk that you're putting together for a uh, gurney fest on november uh, 16th uh, and gurney fest uh, again on the 16th and 17th uh, at the university of kentucky in your talk will you be using selections from some of gurney's work uh, as examples
0: yeah i'll be focusing largely on ken folks his first collection of stories that came out in 1977 Um, but i'll you know i'll I'll reference the other stories in allegiance and and elsewhere but the primary focus really will be on uh, the Kenfolk's collection Uh, that that collection came out of that very uh heady period you know of the 60s and late 50s um and and Gurney's thinking about literary short stories. And so you see the polish. I mean, it's, it's just, Fat Monroe, for example, the first story, is, it's a fairly brief story in, as short stories go, but there's a lot there. Uh, I mean, it, it, it really does show what Flannery O'Connor said, and that is, you know, meaning is what keeps the short story from being short. Uh, it has sort of a deceptively simple surface to it. And so part of what I'll do is not only talk about some of his influences, uh, but, but just go into a story or two and there's, you know, not a lot of time to do that, but go into a story or two and talk about some of the features there that really stand out, uh, in, in the mastery of what he's accomplished in, in this collection.
2: If you don't mind, uh, could you recite for us call for us um some of the features that you might point out not all of them of course, but one or two um, that are of particular importance to you uh, in in teaching the short story or in teaching uh the the mastery that uh, the skill that he applies to the mm-hmm. short story
0: yeah the the ending of literary short stories is where so much of the, the meaning uh, is revealed insofar as it is revealed. Sometimes it's, it's not, and you really have to kind of work for it or let it sit for a while and then it may emerge. But uh, you know, the ending of Fat Monroe, for example, is one of its great features because you know, we're, we're taken through a story about a young boy encountering a stranger, and this sort of confrontation, this that comes uh, during this encounter. Um, and Wilgus is a very trusting soul uh, in in the world so far, and is not doesn't quite seem prepared for what he finds. he gets in the cab of the truck with fat monroe so so the story becomes a story about a formative moment uh, that occurs out of this encounter i I won't give a spoiler we want the audience to read the story but but the story finishes by leaving uh wilgus the the boy in, in a frustrated state so so this the story doesn't resolve the issue that uh, is portrayed in the story. It instead just leaves uh, the story uh, unresolved in a way. And you can look at the story as an individual story and it'll make quite a bit of sense to you and you can find meaning in it, or you can also try to understand the story within the context of the collection. And that's part of what I'm going to talk about, too. These stories stand on their own as individual literary short stories. Uh, many of them have the kind of ending I just described, this kind of charged ending that is may not be immediately satisfying to the reader, and it's not necessarily satisfying to the uh, main character, but there's something there that... Is charged with meaning that's going to have later uh, effects, or greater impacts in one way or another. So, so in the collection, we see the character uh, moving through encounters with his other family members and and strangers at the end that that harken back to that original. Formative moment with Fat Monroe in the truck. So, so that story sets up a lot of themes that then are played out and developed throughout the collection. So that's this one feature but uh, many, many features that we could talk about.
2: Is it unfair to say or a misrepresentation or a A, a misnomer, if you will, that, uh, short stories, uh, have always gotten, um, uh, uh, the, the short end of the stick, mm-hmm. um, that, that people don't read short stories, uh, mm-hmm. they don't read them, uh, uh, they're not as popular as novels or mm-hmm. as, uh, works of non-fiction. Um, is that, is that true, number one, and if so, why?
0: Um, uh, and George Saunders, as you know, was here a few weeks ago, and, he he, uh, took a stab at answering that question, and part of what he said was, "You you have to learn to read short stories that they're demanding, and you have to be patient with them, um, but they can yield, uh, you know, great delight and meaning if if you if if you're ready for them." Um, and he he used a metaphor of, uh, I think a dolphin, you know swimming underneath the water and then at the end it'll jump up out of the water and then go back <laughs> in the water. And, 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 there's, there's this energy, the um, kind of mystery. And I guess that's, that's another big feature of the short story is that there, there's a kernel of mystery in them that, you know, what makes it a great story is that there's no one answer to that mystery Um, there's there's different angles you can take on trying to answer it or trying to access answers to the mystery and 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 so i i think that's you know it it ends up being what what um, makes so many great stories
2: do you see a lot of that in in gurney's work also
0: I, i do um, and, and Gurney plays with the short story form, and he sort of thwarts. He he knows the form so well that he's also able to anticipate what a reader might ordinarily expect, uh, and and thwart that that desire or that expectation. So so Gurney is experimental in a number of ways, um, and you know which you can do once you once you master uh, the fundamentals. And uh, you, you, can, you can keep doing that. And occasionally, though, you throw in some surprises. And, and he does that. You know, Many of the stories in Allegiance, I would call very experimental. They're not all literary stories. Uh, I, I wouldn't use that term for all of them. But, you know, there are sketches, anecdotes, vignettes, and so forth in there, uh, interwoven with more literary short stories. So, uh, so so, I think part of what he's doing is creating a, a book that appeals to a wider audience, not just those who, who, who are looking for a uh, literary short story. And by the way, you know, you read a novel to sort of escape. It's, it's, a, it's a need that we have to sort of have a sustained experience in reading and stay with the same characters and and see them develop and so forth the short story is very very different because it often starts in the middle of something you don't have any historical or contextual background it just starts and and you don't really get a lot of development necessarily a traditional type of development with a character and then and then it may end in a way that is that you think might be unsatisfying and so that's, that's why I think, you know, the novel sells much, much better than the short story. But, but, you know, once you get into the habit of looking for certain kinds of characteristics of short stories, you can see how the, the writer is playing with those and trying new things and, you know, mm-hmm. demonstrating traditional kinds of, of, of things. And so it, 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 you can, you can become, like Gurney, a fan of the short story.
2: I'm talking with Dr. Morris Grubbs, who is an assistant dean and director of the Graduate Student uh, Professional uh, Program um, at um, Enhancement at uh, the University of Kentucky, uh, a writer uh, in his own right, uh, an editor, um, and uh, a devotee of um, Gurney Norman um, and and many other uh, well-known Kentucky writers. But in this particular incidence, uh, we're talking about Gurney Fest, uh, which comes up November the 16th and 17th at the University of Kentucky, a celebration of of the wonderful Appalachian writer Gurney Norman's work uh, throughout his life, his uh, teaching uh, at the University of Kentucky, his uh, celebrated uh, stories. Uh, and um, uh, Morris, just to, to close it out before we listen to Gurney talk about his his writing and uh, the the first uh, issue of Allegiance. Um, if someone's listening to this podcast, uh, whether they're familiar with Gurney or not, but if they aren't as familiar with Gurney as as you are, let's say, what would you suggest uh, to them on uh, the sixteenth and seventeenth of November? What should they come prepared to um, listen for and and uh, learn and um, and really uh, digest from a couple of days of, uh, of literature and words and, and literacy and, and, and wonderful uh, instruction and uh, so many other things, music and documentaries uh, that uh, Gurney participated in at uh, Kentucky Educational Television. Uh, what would you suggest that, that a, a person uh, come prepared to look for at Gurney Fest?
0: Well, that's, that's a difficult question for sure. I, I mean, I, I think there's, there's going to be a, quite a number of guests from, you know, Gurney's past from Eastern Kentucky. Um, and, and so I think that'll, that'll be very interesting to hear perspectives on Gurney and the culture uh, where he grew up. And I, I think I would watch for those. if If you're, A a literary person or a fan of literature certainly try to make as many of those kinds of discussions. There's a panel on teaching Gurney's work. Um, And so, if you haven't, you know, Gurney's multidimensional because he's, as you mentioned, um, a a, a filmmaker as well. And so, I think there'll be some reshowings of KET productions that that Gurney was involved in. And and if you haven't seen those, it would be great to watch those once again on a larger screen for sure, um, for all of us to watch again. And so, I I don't know, Bill, it's it's a difficult question. I would say, look at the schedule and try to come for as much as you possibly can.
2: Thanks, Morris, uh, for joining us. Um, We'll hear from Gurney, as I mentioned just a moment ago in a conversation uh, that we recorded at uh, Black Swan Books uh, in Lexington uh, with our our wonderful friend, uh, Mike Courtney, standing by. Um, And we will have that uh, conversation after we hear this word from our friends at the Spalding University Naslin Mann Graduate School in Writing.
0: At Spalding University's Low Residency MFA program, creative writing students come to campus for an exciting week of learning each semester, followed by independent study from home that fits in with work and family life. Write prolifically, explore across genres, gain editorial experience on a literary journal, and become part of a lifelong writing community. Writers thrive at Spalding's Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing. Learn more at Spaulding.edu forward slash MFA or email
2: school of writing at
0: Spaulding.edu.
2: Gurney Norman, novelist and short story writer, lives in Lexington where he is Gurney Norman, novelist and short story writer, lives in Lexington where he is a professor of English at the University of Kentucky, a position he has held for thirty-six years the University of Kentucky, his alma mater. A native of eastern Kentucky and southwestern Virginia, he was the recipient of a Wallace Stegner Fellowship in Creative Writing at Stanford University. He was appointed Kentucky Port Laureate in 2009. Gurney's novel, Divine Rights Trip, first appeared in the last Whole Earth catalog. His novel, Kinfolks, won the Wetherford Award as the Appalachian Book of the Year. Norman has received many honors for his work and is widely known as an Appalachian literary historian and cultural advocate. He is the co-editor of Backtalk from Appalachia, Confronting Stereotypes and An American Vein: Critical Readings in Appalachian Literature. Gurney's new book is titled Allegiance, an original set of stories spanning 40 years of work. Allegiance is an autobiography told through stories, told mainly in the voice of Norman's fictional narrator, Wilgus Collier. There's a foreword by poet Letha Kendrick, an author's note, and an original cover painting by Appalachian artist, Pam Oldfield Mead. A selection of non-fiction pieces comprises the book's epilogue. It is a masterpiece. I'm so glad to have Gurney Norman, on the podcast, and we'll tell everybody that we're recording in an old haunt of yours, <laughs> Mike Courtney's uh, Black Swan Bookshop uh, in I'm Lexington. I'm so
1: glad to be in this space. It's wonderful, yeah.
2: Gurney, uh, an Appalachian literature as a, as a subgenre genre um, is uh, what one uh, writer, uh, one critic uh, called a lot of your work. Appalachian literature is a subgenre, in other words, it's not just uh fiction non fiction it it really has because of the body of work created its its own genre. Talk to me about appalachian literature
1: well uh think um uh, of a uh, part of north america uh, defined um uh, geographically uh, and by uh, uh, rivers, the flowing waters, Uh, the southern mountains is another way to refer to it. Um, It is um, ancient land and um, inhabited uh, by people perhaps 10,000 years before the Anglos uh, arrived. Um, And in um, uh, our century uh, writers have emerged uh, from the mountains and uh, some, well the three most famous and prominent uh, uh, writers were uh, James Still, Harriet Simpson Arnault, and Jesse Stewart. And uh, I'm afraid uh, we don't have recent scholarship on those writers, but it's time to uh, tend to them again They're my forebears. I knew all three of them, and they were mentors to me, very uh, generous and supportive, uh, especially Mr. Still. Um, But um, I, uh, as a young writer emerging in the uh, 60s and early 70s, uh, I had occasion to be with uh, uh, Harriet Arnault and, uh, and Jesse, it was ever present, uh, 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 it's meaningful to me that uh, uh, James Still and Jesse Stewart both uh, had been uh, students at Lincoln Memorial University And that uh, is just one mile from Cumberland Gap. And so, uh, and my uh, parents met at uh, LMU. And uh, my mother uh, became a teacher. and, uh, um, And she had grown up there in the Powell Valley of Virginia which uh, uh, ends on this western end at Cumberland Gap. Uh, Cumberland Gap, and maybe it's a generational thing. I'm not sure if young people uh, have the interest uh, in uh, such historical matters, but, uh, Uh, My mother was from the Powell Valley, and my father was uh, from, uh, uh, finally, uh, Perry County, Kentucky. But they met at LMU, and my dad was there only for one year. My mother was there for three years as young people, but that's where they met and um, so that personalizes it for me. Um, And then, um, (coughs) uh, well it it is um, um, a study, Uh, I think uh, LMU is very proud of the writers who were students there who became uh, writers. Um, so, uh, that place and that landscape, um, that place on the map, Cumberland Gap with LMU only a mile away. Uh, I know that my mother and father on their first dates walked to the Gap and Until the recent era, uh, there was a road uh, across the gap, but the railroad came through the gap through a tunnel in about 1912, I think, and so to walk through the tunnel uh, was something that uh, my parents uh, did on their, uh, their, you know, the idea of a date in those days, was you took a walk. And uh, I teased my mother uh, about walking through a railroad tunnel with her boyfriend who became my father. And I said to my mother, y'all didn't stop in there and have a little kiss, did you? And she confessed. Yes, they did.
2: In fact, you write in Allegiance um, about uh, a trip that you took with your mother uh, to go back and, and visit those places that you're telling us about.
1: Exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, I have. Uh, I'm very place-oriented. The uh, the actual location. Uh, uh, including small towns, um, but r- rural areas and just stretches of road, like uh, through the Powell Valley that leads to Cumberland Gap. Uh, uh, maybe it's generational, uh, but I'm very oriented to the uh, Landscape and the roads and the and the flowing water, uh, and uh, have uh, paid attention to. in fact, uh, worked with colleagues on uh, some uh, television work uh, about the Kentucky River and uh, those waters down in the Cumberland Gap area.
2: They meant um, a, a lot to you, and you write uh, so lovingly of that uh, period in your life and, and uh, the times that you were living there and then the times that you went back and visited. Let me turn uh, to Allegiance, uh, Gurney, and, and ask you about a, a, a term that is used, uh, whether you uh, accept it or adopt it or whether it's uh, someone else's term that uh, describes your work autobiographical non-fiction autobiographical nonfiction tell me um and then the the tack the word fiction on there autobiographical nonfiction fiction so tell me about that
1: well i I don't think I have used the term uh, fiction nonfiction um, but um it's simple, the uh, book, um, Allegiance, uh, has uh, uh, short stories I've written and, uh, and then uh, autobiographical, uh, I guess you call them essays uh, also. But I, I don't conflate them so much myself.
2: You, um, as you've, I think, identified Uh, are writing about your life.
1: Um, Much of my writing is autobiographical.
2: And it's about your growing up. Now, the the interesting thing, I think, for anyone who has read you or read other uh, Appalachian literature is that you are writing about your life, yet at the same time there are places where you might have, um, is embellished uh, not a kind word to say? Uh,
1: no, it's a, it's uh, fair, uh, but um, um, I began as a short story writer, very much influenced by uh, James uh, Still, who incidentally attended LMU, as did Jesse Stewart, uh, and uh, Um, to, um, oh, significantly, at uh, Stanford University, I worked with the great Irish short story writer, Frank O'Connor. And Mr. O'Connor and I had a special connection, I think, in that... um, his part of Ireland, um, he, um, and he read my writing, he was my teacher, and um, uh, he, we together could see Ireland, Appalachia uh, with much in common. I think starting with folk culture.
2: Would you mind telling us the story, um, speaking of of your Stigner Fellowship um, in uh, Palo Alto when you were just a, a young person. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd been to the University of Kentucky and you were fortunate to get this uh, um, fellowship and you were there with some other uh, notable Kentucky writers, uh, but you also met some other, uh, Frank O'Connor being one of those, but you also were exposed to other Uh, figures in literature that were giants like Robert Frost. Uh, I uh,
1: uh, had, and I've written about Mr. Frost. Um, Well, it's hard to know where to start. Uh, (laughs) I uh, was encouraged by my uh, teachers at UK um uh, in my senior year, I um, uh, had taken the creative writing courses at UK that I now teach and um, um, and uh, with <laughs> not just encouragement but with uh, uh, re- uh, the requirement. Uh, my Robert Hazel, uh, Well, let me back up. I prepared my application to Stanford University. I had a letter written, three of my short stories, all in an envelope, and it was um, sealed and addressed with stamps on it. And I had uh, trouble uh, bringing myself to the point of actually mailing it. Why? I, 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 I thought maybe I was uh, getting above my raising. I was uh, uh, reaching too far. And uh, my teacher, Robert Hazel, said, Gurney, did you send in your application to Stanford? I said, well I have it ready, and uh, a month later he re- he repeated it again, by which time the uh, envelope with my application and my storage had fallen to the floor of my car, it was down there under the junk. <laughs> and I said, well it's in my car. And. Uh, 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 And he had been my mentor for two or three years, very important uh, influence. And uh, he said, well, Granny, did you mail your application to Stanford? I said, well, no, it's in my car. And he said, well, look, if you don't send that, if you don't mail that envelope, I don't want anything more to do with you.
2: And he was serious?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, Because I was, I would have been uh, declining to be ambitious. And, uh, but he had confidence uh, in me. And, uh, but he made that uh, threat and I put it in the mail the next day.
2: Well, you were on a road trip, weren't you? I was down
1: in North Carolina in uh, Avery County. And um, um, uh, it, it was smudged by now, uh, the envelope, but it was in my car. And I was in Newland, North Carolina, and I parked in front of the uh, drugstore there, and there was a U.S. mailbox. And so I t- <laughs> finally dropped it into the mail. and. Um, several weeks later, I got word that I'd been accepted as a fellow in Stanford's um, uh, creative, graduate creative writing program, and uh, uh, where uh, expenses paid, and I was um, immediately in a class taught by Malcolm Cowley who was a leading figure in the uh, earlier part of the century uh, and uh, had been an intimate friend of uh, Hemingway and Scott Fitzgerald and that was, that's who he was. And uh, uh, so uh, I wound up, because I finally mailed my application Got word I'd been granted a fellowship. Got myself to California. I had an old uh, 51 Ford, eight cylinders. you got about 10 miles a gallon and about 40 miles to the quart of oil. <laughs> and, uh, and I drove it uh, to um, Palo Alto and I uh, joined the class, and uh, Mr. Cowley was our teacher. And as I began to read who was Malcolm Cowley, I, re- <laughs> I realized I'd come a long way from Hazard. And, uh, uh, but all went well, um, and uh, uh, my, uh, uh, I did a lot of writing and just took advantage to the point that, uh, well, I might not have remained in California, but I had an Army um, obligation, all young American males did, two years. And so it was time for me to go into the U.S. Army. I, I was at Stanford that one year and met writers and so on. But I didn't know that I would ever go back to California. And so I got in the US Army, finished training at Fort Benning and got my orders. Fort Ord, California, mm. at Monterey, only about eighty miles from Palo Alto. So the army sent me back to um Northern California where I resumed my friendships with um, my writer friends. Do a little
2: name dropping there. Your writer friends. uh, We we might recognize some of those names.
1: Well, um, uh, um, probably the most literary among us was uh, the Texas writer Larry McMurtry. Lonesome Dove is his probably most famous book, but uh, Ken Kesey from uh, Oregon was in the class, and uh, uh, a Jewish kid, Peter Beagle, uh, who was actually probably the most talented of anybody, and uh, he um, had, um, had success as a, as a novelist. But those were my became my buddies. You know, we hung out together. We were all young and could stay up all night and not suffer too bad. Uh, so, um,
2: and it was on one of those occasions when you were in school for that year that Robert Frost was a guest that's at right. uh, at the professor's home.
1: That's right. And uh, but uh, Mister Frost had. Uh, in my last year here at UK had come to UK as a guest and uh, I uh, went to his reading in Memorial Hall and uh, and then um, um, there we were uh, in the Stanford writing community and the director of the writing program was a very fine novelist, uh, Wallace Stegner, and uh, he invited us uh, student writers up to his uh, home one evening just for dessert. And his house guest was Robert Frost. And uh, it just so happened that uh, Mr. Frost and I sat facing each other and, uh, uh, and um, and and it was utterly relaxed. We were all writers, and uh, so the t- conversation was just kind of literary uh, talk. I was not shy. I I I, uh, I was always willing to uh, speak when I had something to say. But in any case. Uh, there at um, Mr. Stegner's house that evening. Um, I sat face to face with Robert Frost and I'm sure he didn't quite remember the occasion, but I never forgot it.
2: Uh, Gurney, let me um, return to uh, Allegiance, uh, which is just out. And by the way, just a little side note that you'll be at the Kentucky Book Festival on November the 6th uh, at Joseph Beth Booksellers to uh, to talk to people and, yes. and to sign uh, uh, your book, yeah. and yeah. Um, uh, it'll be wonderful to have you there. Uh, let me read just a short sentence or two from the foreword of allegiance uh, okay. that Letha Kendrick wrote, and then I want to ask you to, to comment on it. Okay. Um, she writes that um, Gurney Norman unleashes a tour de force of writing styles and techniques across the collection. Lyric meditations, narrative realism, anecdotes, dream skates, jack tales, and dreams of consciousness. The book as a whole works by accretion and juxtaposition. Its stories, the product of years of writing, strike many different tones and different depths as stanzas might in a long poem. That's quite high praise.
1: Well, it is, and uh, I uh, hope I have thanked her. <laughs> um,
2: well, these different, what, what for you as a, a writer of such renown and such a famous Kentucky writer as well as a national figure in the, in the writing world and still writing today, all of these different uh, genres and, and and figures of speech and and styles. Tell me a little bit about uh, what brought you to the to the to the table to put this together.
1: Well, um, I uh, grew up in uh, Eastern Kentucky. And uh, was uh, lived much of my early life with uh, grandparents. And uh, uh, my uh, mother's parents were uh, uh, traditional people. Uh, they uh, had uh, lived, uh, they always built their own house in Lee County, Virginia, which is adjacent to Harlan County, Kentucky. Um, They, uh, uh, they're still standing six or eight houses that they built by hand, and that's how they (coughs) got ahead. They raised eight children, one of them was my mother, and I lived with grandma and granddad quite a bit as a, as a kid. Um, uh, and so um, we, one couldn't help but be influenced uh, by her speech. And her, uh, she was a powerful woman. You didn't want to get on the wrong side of grandma. She had raised eight children um, and had uh, uh, been um, um, a farmer herself, always kept livestock. um,
2: She could wring a chicken neck or two. Oh yeah, oh yeah,
1: definitely. Uh, And then, you know, it would come hog killing day um uh, she uh, was not hesitant to do what you do when you kill a hog, you know, uh, uh, and Grandad as well. They were both a traditional people, but had raised eight children who came of age in the 30s. They had four sons all in World War II at the same time, and and those were the years when um, uh, I and my sister and brother at the time, uh, we were sent to live with Grandma. Uh, My granddad was Rufus Music, M-U-S-I-C-K. And they were uh, strong people, they were so capable. Um, They uh, built their own houses, that's how they got ahead. Uh, They would um, buy a few acres, build a house on it, live in it a few years, and then do it again. I think they built something like uh, six houses uh, in Lee County, Virginia,
2: and these are all stories that you return to in your writing and have all of your life. Uh, <clears throat> but there are some new additions to this. But tell us uh, a little bit about the, the the stories that you do write about about your uh, about your pony, um, about um, about your dog.
1: Um, my uh, my pony. Uh, of course, grown-ups will allow a kid to claim ownership of animals. Um, uh, my uh, grandfather uh, and his sons um, opened a coal mine. They went in, the, they were uh, opened a small truck mine. And they knew how to do that and uh, it was called a pony mine. The coal was pulled out from underground, maybe hundreds of yards underground, and the pony would pull the coal car out. They were called a pony mine. And, uh, and then these ponies uh, Uh, lived there on the hillside farm where my grandparents, uh, where I lived with my grandparents. And uh, uh, so I had the experience of being a, a, a real country kid, but Grandma believed in education. She had had four daughters and four sons. And she put them, all the girls, through college. And uh, uh, two of the boys, I think, uh, went, to, uh, went to college. And uh, so uh, she was a country woman, and, uh, but understood that education was vital. And uh, if you didn't do your lessons, if you didn't study, she would uh, notice it. She, you, (laughs) it was, um, I would say, the source of my uh, learning to concentrate. So anyhow, uh, uh, I had the great benefit of living with those grandparents as a country kid with the woods and the pasture and the animals and the barn and manual work, um, and um, um, I, was, I, I wouldn't take anything for that. Experience. you were really
2: fortunate to have that
1: i was that upbringing I was, and my parents had bad luck uh, uh, my, my dad. Uh, lived his last years in the Veterans' Hospital and so on. So, uh, um, at age nine, well, and I had an older brother, uh, two years older than me. Jerry. Jerry. And when I was nine and he was 10 or 11, uh, right after the war, our father, an Army veteran, he was not a combat veteran, but he served in the Army. Uh, he, um, um, uh, the, the challenge was, in the late 40s, is to find work. And uh, the coal industry was changing, declining, and new technology did not need laborers the way it had and so uh, my father uh, uh, was among the thousands of working men from the mountains who suddenly uh, needed to go to Ohio and Michigan looking for work uh, as the coal industry technology changed and so on.
2: Gurney, um this is such an interesting story uh, about your time that you spent in boarding school. Yeah. Uh, with your brother and yeah. and uh your athletic uh abilities. <laughs> I want you to just tell that story real quickly about uh when you were uh the quarterback.
1: <laughs> well, they're uh, um, uh, I, my brother and I were sent to boarding school, a church school that had a little football team. And uh, I, uh, uh, it was natural for me to play end. I could catch the ball. And then uh, our quarterback was hurt, and the coach, the coach said, Uh, let's put Gurney in at quarterback. And uh, um, uh, what I could not do was pass the ball. I had no talent. But I uh, had a sense of uh, uh, responsibility to, to Coach Johnson. He trusted me. And so I uh, uh, became the quarterback, a non-passing quarterback for a high school football team. And uh, 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 so, uh, interestingly, these years later, I remember some of those games play by play, and sometimes you goof up and are sorry. And every now and then, you know, you do something right. And uh, it was very, it was formative experience to be and the quarterback of a high school One of
2: those stories was uh, you didn't have a real strong offense. So you decided on one play to do a quarterback sneak <laughs> and you got six or eight yards
1: and, well, and then what happened? And, well, uh, were well you? We were probably on our own 30-yard line, and nothing worked. And so I d- just tried a quarterback sneak and made several yards. And I thought, well, that that was easy, and so we called it another quarterback sneak. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the the other team must have been confused as we were. And, um, but um, I called something like a dozen quarterback sneaks and we marched down the field. Uh, We were 20 points behind. It didn't occur to us that we might win a game. What we wanted to do was to make a touchdown. And um, so uh, the quarterback sneaks uh, uh, Seem to be the one play that worked.
2: <laughs> well, uh, in Allegiance, uh, the the final piece that uh, that you write has uh, some would call it a stream of consciousness. I don't know what you would call it or that, not. That's
1: what I thought uh, it was. Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, it doesn't really fall into any other uh, category or label. It's, I, it's I
1: call it stream of consciousness. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Tell me about the process of writing that in and, and and why that's included in the collection what what was important to you about being able to do that?
1: Well um, uh, to write a short story is an arduous task. Uh, it's a demanding form and I, I may have mentioned uh, mr. O'Connor that I a master short Irish short story writer who paid attention to me. He he could see that my upbringing in the mountain region here, uh, uh, reminding him of his upbringing in uh, Ireland. Uh, kind of poor people, folk, culture. Uh, So I had a special connection to Mr. O'Connor, and um, he uh, uh, just sort of gave me permission and encouragement um, and um, probably suggested that I read some James Joyce. Uh, The idea that consciousness itself goes on in our minds all the time and how do you reflect uh, the mental process and make it interesting and be a narrative. So um, it was um, from him that I uh, would even know um, uh, about such a thing as stream of consciousness.
2: So you were thinking of um, of Frank O'Connor...
1: And Irish writers. Joyce, also, of course.
2: As you were writing this piece uh, for Allegiance. Uh,
1: Yes, yes. Uh, And and also, it it comes from having so much material. You know a thousand stories, but you're only going to write twenty. The short story is a demanding form. It's not easy to write a short story and it come out right. Um, and uh, but one has a bounty of material you know just memories and images and characters and stuff and so uh, I uh, 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 had uh, been exposed to uh, uh, James Joyce, the Irish writers, and and uh, to uh, repeat, Ireland and Appalachia have much in common, folk culture, uh, and uh, so uh, I uh, had material that I knew I would not spend ten years writing the short stories, and so I wanted to try stream of consciousness.
2: Gurney, uh, another fine writing institution uh, is the underwriter of our podcast. That's Spalding University and their their writing program, their MFA. And we're going to pause and hear a word from them, and then we'll come back with a final question. Gurney, um, you you've had a, a wonderful life. I have, and you've um, put it all down on paper many times. Uh, I have. Um, I'll go out on the on the limb here and just say that I, I, I that this was a wonderful work and very enjoyable, and I think that that people um, need to read it for for how how things used to be. And and how things are today, and I know you must be very proud of it.
1: Well, I am proud of it, and um, uh, everything about the book pleases me. And I'm continuing. Uh, uh, I have, you know, I used to work for a weekly newspaper,
2: the Hazard Herald, right?
1: That's I did. I worked, and a lot of early writing is feature stories, mostly. And so um I have my Wilgus character. Uh, um he uh, it's his stream of consciousness. So uh Appalachian stream of consciousness, uh that's what my attempt is in the last uh last pages there. Um and um, uh, but I have uh, an, an, another book underway, a more con- straightforward fiction um, that comes from my newspaper background, and so the um, uh, I call uh, this newspaper the Record. There are newspapers called the Record and the county and fictional county is Finley County. And so the title of my book in progress is the Finley County Record, and the word record is in italics. And so it is uh, meant, uh, it's as if um, I'm writing for my own Fictional newspaper, yeah.
2: We look forward to uh, to seeing that uh, soon.
1: Uh, well, maybe not soon. Maybe another year, certainly. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> that is um, uh, my it's my present present work, and uh, um, uh, I've I've got about ninety pages. I need another couple hundred. I mean, I need. Uh, a lot of pages to uh, represent the Finley County record.
2: Gurney, thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it so much, and uh, feel very honored to be invited to uh, to uh, talk uh, with you. And uh, thank you for your work. You 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 uh, hold us all together. You know. Uh, and make, uh, create the community around us, Uh, uh, so so thank you.
2: As a professor of English at the University of Kentucky, a position he has held for 36 years, the University of Kentucky, his alma mater. A native of eastern Kentucky and southwestern Virginia, he was the recipient of a Wallace Stegner Fellowship in Creative Writing at Stanford University he was appointed Kentucky Port Laureate in 2009. Gurney's novel, Divine Rights Trip, first appeared in the last Whole Earth catalog. His novel, Kinfolks, won the Wetherford Award as the Appalachian Book of the Year. Norman has received many honors for his work and is widely known as an Appalachian literary historian and cultural advocate He is the co-editor of Backtalk from Appalachia, Confronting Stereotypes, and An American Vein: Critical Readings in Appalachian Literature. Gurney's new book is titled Allegiance, an original set of stories spanning 40 years of work. Allegiance is an autobiography told through stories, told mainly in the voice of Norman's fictional narrator, Wilgus Collier. There is a foreword by poet Letha Kendrick, an author's note, and an original cover painting by Appalachian artist, Pam Oldfield Mead. A selection of non-fiction pieces comprises the book's epilogue. It is a masterpiece. I'm so glad to have Gurney Norman on the podcast and we'll tell everybody that we're recording in an old haunt of yours, <laughs> Mike Courtney's uh, Black Swan Bookshop uh, in I'm Lexington. I'm so
1: glad to be in this space. It's wonderful. Yeah,
2: Gurney, uh, an Appalachian literature as a as a subgenre um, is uh, what one uh, writer, uh, one critic uh, called a lot of your work. Appalachian literature as a subgenre, in other words, it's not just. A, uh, fiction nonfiction it, it really has because of the body of work created its its own genre talk to me about Appalachian literature
1: well uh, think um, of uh, part of North America uh, defined um, geographically uh, and by um, uh, rivers, the flowing waters. Uh, The southern mountains is another way to refer to it. Um, It is um, ancient land and um, inhabited uh, by people perhaps 10,000 years before the Anglos uh, arrived. And in um, uh, our century, uh, writers have emerged uh, from the mountains. And uh, some, well, the three most famous and prominent uh, uh, writers uh, uh, were uh, James Still, Harriet Simpson Arnaud, and Jesse Stewart and uh, I'm afraid uh, we don't have recent scholarship on those writers but it's time to uh, tend to them again they're my forebears. I knew all three of them and they were mentors to me very uh, Generous and supportive, uh, especially in Mister Still. Um, but um, I, uh, as a young writer emerging in the uh, '60s and early '70s, uh, I had occasion to be with uh, uh, Harriet Arno and. Uh, and Jesse, if it was ever present, uh, 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 it's meaningful to me that uh, uh, James Still and Jesse Stewart both uh, had been uh, students at Lincoln Memorial University, and that uh, is just one mile from Cumberland Gap. And so, uh, and my uh, parents met at uh, LMU, and uh, my mother uh, became a teacher. And, uh, um, and she had grown up there in the Powell Valley of Virginia, which uh, uh, ends on this western end at Cumberland Gap. Uh, Cumberland Gap. And maybe it's a generational thing. I'm not sure if young people have the interest uh, in uh, such historical matters, but uh, uh, my mother was from the Powell Valley, and my father was uh, from finally uh, Perry County Kentucky but they met at LMU and my dad was there only for one year my mother was there for three years as a young people but that's where they met and um, uh, so that personalizes it for me um, And then, um, uh, well, it it is um, um, a study. Uh, I think uh, LMU is very proud of the writers who were students there who became uh, writers. Um, So uh, that place and that landscape, um, that place on the map, Cumberland Gap with LMU only a mile away. Uh, I know that my mother and father, on their first dates, walked to the Gap. And until the recent era, uh, there was a road uh, across the Gap, but the railroad came through the Gap, through a tunnel in about 1912 I think, and uh, so to walk through the tunnel uh, was something that uh, my parents uh, did on their, uh, their, you know, the idea of a date in those days (laughs) was you took a walk. And uh, I teased my mother. about walking through a railroad tunnel with his, her boyfriend, who became my father. And I said to my mother, y'all didn't stop in there and have a little kiss, did you? <laughs> and she confessed. Yes, they did.
2: In fact, you write in Allegiance um, about uh, a trip that you took with your mother uh, to go back and, and visit those places that you're telling us about.
1: Exactly. Exactly. and. Uh, um uh, I have uh, I'm very place oriented the, uh, the actual location, uh, uh, including small towns, um, but r- rural areas and just stretches of road, like uh, through the Powell Valley that leads to Cumberland Gap. Uh, uh, maybe it's generational, uh, but I'm very oriented to the uh, landscape and the roads and the and the flowing water, uh, and uh, have uh, paid attention to. In fact, uh, worked with colleagues on uh, some uh, television work uh, about the Kentucky River, and uh, those waters down in the Cumberland Gap area.
2: They meant um, a lot to you, and you write uh, so lovingly of that uh, period in your life and and, uh, the times that you were living there and then the times that you went back and visited. Let me turn uh, to Allegiance, uh, Gurney, and and ask you about a, a, a term that is used uh, whether you uh, accept it or adopt it, or whether it's uh, someone else's term that uh, describes your work: autobiographical nonfiction. Autobiographical nonfiction. Tell me, um, and then the the tack the word fiction on there: autobiographical nonfiction fiction. So, tell me about that.
1: Well, I I don't think I have used the term. Uh, fiction, non-fiction, um, but um, it's simple. The um, book, um, Allegiance, uh, has uh, uh, short stories I've written and uh, and then uh, autobiographical, uh, I guess you call them essays uh, also, but I, I don't conflate them so much myself.
2: You, um, as you've, I think, identified, uh, are writing about your life.
1: Um, I, I, much of my writing is autobiographical.
2: And it's about your growing up. Now, the, the interesting thing, I think, for anyone who has read you or read other uh, Appalachian literature is that you are writing about your life, yet at the same time, there are places where you might have, um, is embellished, a, not a kind word to say. Uh,
1: no, it's, a, it's uh, fair, uh, but um, um, I begin as a short story writer, very much influenced by uh, James uh, Still, who incidentally attended LMU as did Jesse Stewart, Um, and um, um, to, um, oh, significantly, at uh, Stanford University, I worked with the great Irish short story writer, Frank O'Connor. And Mr. O'Connor and I had a special connection, I think, in that um, his part of Ireland, um, he, uh, and he read my writing, he was my teacher, and he, we together could see Ireland, Appalachia uh, with much in common. I think starting with folk, culture.
2: Would you mind telling us the story, um, speaking of of your Stigner Fellowship um, in uh, Palo Alto when you were just a, a young person? You'd, mm-hmm. you'd been to the University of Kentucky and you were fortunate to get this uh, um, fellowship and you were there with some other uh, notable Kentucky writers, uh, but you also met some other uh, Frank O'Connor being one of those, but you also were exposed to other uh, figures in literature that were giants, like Robert Frost. Uh,
1: I uh, uh, had, and I've written about Mr. Frost. Um, Well, it's hard to know where to start. Uh, (laughs) I uh, was encouraged by my uh, teachers at UK um in my senior year, I um, uh, had taken the creative writing courses at UK that I now teach and um, um, and uh, with <laughs> not just encouragement but with uh, uh, rec- uh, the requirement uh, my Robert Hazel, uh, Well, let me back up. I prepared my application to Stanford University. I had a letter written, three of my short stories, all in an envelope, and it was um, sealed and addressed with stamps on it. And I had uh, trouble uh, bringing myself to the point of actually mailing it. Why? I, 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 I thought maybe I was uh, getting above my raising. I was uh, uh, reaching too far. And uh, <clears throat> my teacher, Robert Hazel, said, Gurney, did you send in your application to Stanford? I said, well, I have it ready, and uh, a month later he re- he repeated it again, by which time the uh, envelope with my application and my storage had fallen to the floor of my car. It was down there under the junk, <laughs> and I said, well, it's in my car, and uh, 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 And he'd been my mentor for two or three years, very important uh, influence. And uh, he said, well, Granny, did you mail your application to Stanford? I said, well, no, it's in my car. And he said, well, look, if you don't send that, if you don't mail that envelope, I don't want anything more to do with you.
2: And he was serious?
1: Oh yeah, uh, because I was, I would have been uh, declining to be ambitious. And, uh, but he had confidence uh, in me. and uh, But he made that uh, threat, and I put it in the mail the next day.
2: Well, you were on a road trip, weren't you? I was in...
1: down in North Carolina yeah. in uh, Avery County. <laughs> And um, um, uh, it, it was smudged by now, uh, the envelope, but it was in my car. And I was in Newland, North Carolina, and I parked in front of the uh, drugstore there, and there was a US mailbox. And so I t- <laughs> finally dropped it into the mail. and. Um, Several weeks later, I got word that I had been accepted as a fellow in Stanford's um, uh, creative, graduate creative writing program, and uh, uh, where uh, expenses paid. And I was um, immediately in a class taught by Malcolm Cowley who was a leading figure in the uh, earlier part of the century uh, and uh, had been an intimate friend of uh, Hemingway and Scott Fitzgerald and that was, that's who he was. And uh, uh, so uh, I wound up, because I finally mailed my application. Got word I'd been granted a fellowship. Got myself to California. I had an old uh, 51 Ford, eight cylinders. you got about 10 miles a gallon and about 40 miles to the core of oil. (laughs) And and I drove it uh, to uh, Palo Alto and uh, joined the class, and uh, Mr. Cowley was our teacher. And as I began to read who was Malcolm Cowley, I re- <laughs> I realized I'd come a long way from Hazard, and uh, uh, but oh well. Um, and uh, uh, my uh, uh, I did a lot of writing and just took advantage to the point that, uh, well, I might not have remained in California, but I had an Army um, obligation. All young American males did, two years. And so it was time for me to go into the U.S. Army. I, I was at Stanford that one year and met writers and so on. But I didn't know that I would ever go back to California. And so I got in the U.S. Army, finished training at Fort Benning, and got my orders. Fort Ord, California, <laughs> at Monterey, only about 80 miles from Palo Alto. So the Army sent me back to um Northern California where I resumed my friendships with um, my writer friends. Do a
2: little name dropping there, your writer friends. uh, We we might recognize some of those names.
1: Well, um, uh, um, probably the most literary among us was uh, the Texas writer Larry McMurtry. Lonesome Dove is his probably most famous book. but uh, Ken Kesey from uh, Oregon was in the class, and uh, uh, a Jewish kid, Peter Beagle, uh, who was actually probably the most talented of anybody, and uh, he um, had um, had success as a as a novelist. But those were my became my buddies. You know, we hung out together. We were all young and could stay up all night and not suffer too bad. Uh, so, um,
2: and it was on one of those occasions when you were in school for that year that Robert Frost was a guest that's at right. uh, at the professor's home.
1: That's right. And uh, but uh, Mister Frost had. Uh, in my last year here at U.K. had come to U.K. as a guest. And uh, I uh, went to his reading in Memorial Hall, and, uh, and then um, um, there we were uh, in the Stanford writing community, and the director of the writing program was a very fine novelist, uh, Wallace Stegner, and uh, he invited us uh, student writers up to his uh, home one evening just for dessert, and his house guest was Robert Frost. And uh, it just so happened that uh, Mr. Frost and I sat facing each other and and um, and and it was utterly relaxed. We were all writers, and uh, so the t- conversation was just kind of literary uh, talk. I was not shy. I I I, uh, I was always willing to uh, speak when I had something to say. But in any case. Uh, There at uh, Mr. Stegner's house that evening, Um, I sat face-to-face with Robert Frost, and I'm sure he didn't quite remember the occasion, but I never forgot it.
2: Uh, Gurney, let me um, return to uh, Allegiance, uh, which is just out. And by the way, just a little side note that you'll be at the Kentucky Book Festival on November the... 6th uh, at Joseph Beth Booksellers to uh, to talk to people and, yes. and to sign uh, uh, your book, yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, it'll be wonderful to have you there. Uh, let me read just a short sentence or two from the foreword of Allegiance uh, oh. that Letha Kendrick wrote, and then I want to ask you to, to comment on it. Okay. Um, she writes that, um, Gurney Norman unleashes a tour de force of writing styles and techniques across the collection. Lyric meditations, narrative realism, anecdotes, dream skates, jack tales, and dreams of consciousness. The book as a whole works by accretion and juxtaposition. Its stories, the product of years of writing, strike many different tones and different depths as stanzas might in a long poem. That's quite high praise.
1: Well, it is, and uh, I uh, hope I have thanked
2: her. <laughs> um, well, these different, what, what, for you as a, a writer of such renown and such a famous Kentucky writer as well as a national figure in the, in the writing world and still writing today. All of these different uh, genres and, and and figures of speech and and styles. Tell me a little bit about uh, what brought you to the to the to the table to put this together.
1: Well, uh, I uh, grew up in uh, Eastern Kentucky. And uh, was, uh, lived much of my early life with uh, grandparents. And uh, uh, my uh, mother's parents were uh, uh, traditional people. Uh, They uh, had... uh, lived, uh, they always built their own house in Lee County, Virginia, which is adjacent to Harlan County, Kentucky. Um, uh, uh, They're still standing six or eight houses that they built by hand, and that's how they (coughs) got ahead. They raised eight children, one of them was my mother. And I lived with grandma and granddad quite a bit as a, as a kid. Um, uh, and so one um, we, we couldn't help but be influenced uh, by her speech. And her, uh, she was a powerful woman. You didn't want to get on the wrong side of grandma. She had raised eight children um, and had uh, uh, been um, um, a farmer herself. Always kept livestock. um.
2: She could wring a chicken neck or two.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, And then, you know, it would come hog killing day um uh, she uh, was not hesitant to do what you do when you kill a hog, you know, uh, uh, and Granddad as well. They were both a traditional people, but had raised eight children who came of age in the 30s. They had four sons all in World War II at the same time. And, and those were the years when um, uh, I and my sister and brother at the time, uh, we were sent to live with Grandma. Uh, my granddad was Rufus Music, M-U-S-I-C-K. And they were uh, strong people. They were so capable. Um, They uh, built their own houses. That's how they got ahead. Uh, They would um, buy a few acres, build a house on it, live in it a few years, and then do it again. I think they built something like uh, six houses Uh, In Lee County, Virginia.
2: And these are all stories that you return to in your writing and have all of your life Uh, But there are some new additions to this, but tell us um, a little bit about the 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 stories that you do write about about your uh, about your pony um, about um, about your dog
1: Um, My uh, My pony uh, of course, grown-ups will allow a kid to claim ownership of animals. Um, uh, my uh, grandfather uh, and his sons um, opened a coal mine. They went in the, they were uh, opened a small truck mine. And they knew how to do that. And um, it was called a pony mine. The coal was pulled out from underground, maybe hundreds of yards underground. And the pony would pull the coal car out. They were called a pony mine. And, uh, and then these ponies, uh, uh, lived there on the hillside farm where my grandparents, uh, where I lived with my grandparents. And uh, uh, so I had the experience of being a, a, a real country kid, but grandma believed in education. She had had four daughters and four sons. And she put them, all the girls through college. And uh, uh, two of the boys, I think, uh, went to uh, went to college. And uh, so uh, she was a country woman, and uh, but understood that education was vital. And uh, if you didn't do your lessons, if you didn't study, she would uh, notice it. She, you, (laughs) it was, um, I would say, the source of my uh, learning to concentrate. So anyhow, uh, uh, I had the great benefit of living with those grandparents as a country kid, with the woods and the pasture and the animals and the barn and manual work, um, and um, um, I, was, I wouldn't take anything for that. Experience. You were really
2: fortunate to have that
1: I was that upbringing. I was. And my parents had bad luck. Uh, uh, my, my dad. Uh, lived his last years in the Veterans Hospital and so on. So, uh, um, at age nine, well, and I had an older brother, uh, two years older than me. Jerry. Jerry. And when I was nine and he was 10 or 11, uh, right after the war, our father, an a Army veteran, he was not a combat veteran, but he served in the Army. Uh, he, um, um, uh, the, the challenge was, in the late 40s, is to find work. And uh, the coal industry was changing, declining, and new technology did not need laborers the way it had, and so uh, my father uh, uh, was among the thousands of working men from the mountains who suddenly uh, needed to go to Ohio and Michigan looking for work uh, as the coal industry. Technology changed, and so on.
2: Gurney, um, this is such an interesting story uh, about your time that you spent in boarding school.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, with your brother and yeah. and uh, your athletic uh, abilities, I want you to just tell that story real quickly about uh, when you were uh, the quarterback.
1: <laughs> well, there. Uh, um, My brother and I were sent to boarding school, a church school that had a little football team, and uh, I, uh, uh, it was natural for me to play in, I could catch the ball. And then uh, our quarterback was hurt, and the coach, the coach said, uh let's put Gurney in a quarterback. And uh, um, uh, what I could not do was pass the ball. I had no talent, but I uh, had a sense of uh, uh, well responsibility to, to coach Johnson. He trusted me. And so I uh, uh, became the quarterback, uh, a non-passing quarterback for a high school football team. And uh, 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 so, uh, really? interestingly, these years later, I remember some of those games play by play, and sometimes you goof up and are sorry. And every now and then, you know, you do something right, and uh, it was very, it was formative experience to be yeah. the quarterback of a high school. One of
2: those and stories was uh, you didn't have a real strong offense, so you decided on one play to do a quarterback sneak, <laughs> and you got six or eight yards.
1: And uh, well, and then what I, happened? And uh, well, uh, were well you? We're probably on our own 30-yard line and nothing worked. And so I would just try a quarterback sneak and made several yards. And I thought, well, that that was easy, and so we'll call it another quarterback sneak. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the the other team must have been confused as we were. And, um, but um, I called something like a dozen quarterback sneaks, and we marched down the field. Uh, We were 20 points behind. It didn't occur to us that we might win a game. What we wanted to do was to make a touchdown. And um, so uh, the quarterback sneaks... uh, uh, Seem to be the one play that worked.
2: <laughs> well, uh, in Allegiance, uh, the the final piece that, uh, that you write has, uh, some would call it a stream of consciousness, I don't know what you would call it or that, not.
1: That's what I thought I, it was, yeah.
2: Uh, uh, it doesn't really fall into any other uh, category or label. It's, I, it's, I
1: call it stream of consciousness, yeah. <laughs>
2: Tell me about the process of writing that in and, and and why that's included in the collection what what was important to you about being able to do that?
1: Well um, uh, to write a short story is an arduous task uh, It's a demanding form and I, I may have mentioned uh, mr. O'Connor did I? a master short Irish short story writer who paid attention to me. He he could see that my upbringing in the mountain region here, uh, uh, reminding him of his upbringing in uh, Ireland. Uh, kind of poor people, folk, culture. So I had a special connection to Mr. O'Connor, and um, he uh, uh, just sort of gave me permission and encouragement, um, and um, probably suggested that I read some James Joyce. Uh, The idea that consciousness itself, goes on in our minds all the time and how do you reflect uh, the mental process and make it interesting and be a narrative. So um, it was um, from him that I uh, would even know um, uh, about such a thing as Stream of Consciousness.
2: So you were thinking of um, of Frank O'Connor
1: and Irish writers. Joyce also, of course.
2: As you were writing this piece uh, for Allegiance.
1: Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, And and also it it comes from having so much material. You know a thousand stories, but you are only going to write 20. The short story is a demanding form. It's not easy to write a short story and it come out right. Um, and uh, But one has a bounty of material, you know, just memories and images and characters and stuff. And so uh, I uh, 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 had uh, been exposed to... Uh, James Joyce, the Irish writers, and and uh, to uh, repeat, Ireland and Appalachia have much in common, folk culture, uh, and uh, so uh, I uh, had material that I knew I would not spend ten years writing the short stories, and so I wanted to try stream of consciousness.
2: Gurney, um, you, you've had a, a wonderful life. I have, and you've um, put it all down on paper many times. Uh, I have. Um, I'll go out on the on the limb here and just say that I, I, I that this was a wonderful work and very enjoyable, and I think that that people um, need to read it for for how how things used to be. And, and how things are today, and I know you must be very proud of it.
1: Well, I am proud of it, and uh, uh, everything about the book pleases me, and I'm continuing. Uh, uh, I have, you know, I used to work for a weekly newspaper.
2: The Hazard Herald, right?
1: That's, I did. I worked in a lot of early writing, is feature stories mostly. And so um, I have my Wilgus character. Uh, um, He—it's uh, his stream of consciousness. So uh, Appalachian stream of consciousness. Uh, that's what my attempt is in the last uh, last pages there. Um, And, um, uh, but I have uh, another book underway, a more straightforward fiction, uh, that comes from my newspaper background. And so the, um, uh, I call uh, this newspaper The Record, there are newspapers called The Record. And the county, and fictional county, is Finley County. And so the title of my book in progress is The Finley County Record. And the word record is in italics. And so it is uh, meant, uh, it's as if um, I'm writing for my own Fictional newspaper, yeah.
2: We look forward to uh, to seeing that uh, soon.
1: Uh, well, maybe not soon. Maybe another year, certainly. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> that is um, uh, my it's my present present work, and uh, um, uh, I'm I've got about ninety pages. I need another couple hundred. I mean, I need. Uh, a lot of pages to uh, represent the Finley County record.
2: Gurney, thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it so much, and uh, feel very honored to be invited to uh, to uh, talk uh, with you. And uh, thank you for your work. You 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 uh, hold us all together. You know. Uh, and make, uh, create the community around us,
2: uh, uh, so uh, Think Humanities so so is a podcast you. from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and
1: SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.